Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Alex Spanko. Before the pandemic, there were few things hotter in the world of post-acute and long-term care than institutional special needs plans, or ISNPs, special Medicare Advantage plans that specifically cover nursing home residents. In a world of reimbursement uncertainty, ISNPs offered operators a tantalizing proposition, become the insurer and take control of the payment dollar from start to finish. Like every other aspect of skilled nursing finance and operations, COVID-19 complicated the ISNIP equation. But Hank Watson of American Health Partners says his company has still seen success with the model, even during the heights of the pandemic. Watson joined Rethink to talk about how COVID has changed the ISNIP calculus and what it still takes for providers to make Medicare Advantage work for residents and the bottom line. Here's our conversation. Hank, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Alex. Happy to be here. Look forward to the conversation. Great. And before we get into kind of the meat of the conversation, why don't you give our listeners just a general idea of how your company, how the ISNIP process works. There are a lot of different arrangements that people can enter into. Just want to make sure we're all speaking the same language and we're all on the same page before we get into the details. Yeah, happy to do that. So a little background on American Health Plans. My role there is the Development Officer for American Health Plans and American Health Partners. And I mentioned American Health Partners because that's our uh, parent organization where uh, we also also own and operate nursing homes in the Southeast. But American Health Plans really came out of our efforts to elevate ourselves as nursing home owners and our brethren around the industry as it relates to value-based care and, and, and taking risk as providers. Our team has had extensive experience in developing, owning, operating Medicare Advantage plans. And so uh, between uh, being nursing home operators and having Medicare Advantage experience, uh, the ISNIP has been a good strategy for us and now taking that opportunity into uh, nine other states through joint venture arrangements with other nursing home owners and operators uh, where American Health Plans collaborates and invests alongside those operators to develop capitalize and operationalize provider-owned ISNIP in, uh, in their market. And uh, our, our typical structure, uh, we're, we're, we're flexible in how we approach it. We meet the provider kind of where they're at in terms of their goals with the provider-owned ISNIP. But ultimately, what we look for is, is a syndication arrangement where we're opening up the opportunity to a, a number of operators in the state. Uh, we have uh, operators with 60 facilities, and we have operators with a uh, single facility not-for-profit that invest alongside us in these these opportunities. And they all get the same benefit of the clinical model of care in the ISNIP, as well as the opportunity for capitation and, and shared savings. Got it. I think that's a great place to start. You know, this is a topic where, you know, it seems kind of uh, self-explanatory how it works, but there are many different ways that you can get into it. You know, you can you can have those syndication agreements. You can start it on your own. Glad we have that sort of baseline understanding. My first question is, and this might be the obvious one, but, you know, how has COVID-19 affected the ISNIP calculation, both for, you know, and I think you could speak to it probably from both angles, both from people who are in it, from facilities who are in an ISNIP arrangement already, and in terms of interest you're hearing from from new facilities, new companies that might be that may have been interested before the start of this to enter into an arrangement like this, but you know maybe have put a pause on it. So let's start with you know internally, you know what it's looked like and how COVID has affected that, and then we can go into kind of how it's affected growth and expansion from outside. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know better than anyone, uh, COVID was the most impactful event to occur to the 
uh, nursing home industry and, and continues to be. And so there are obvious challenges uh, for provider and SNPs uh, in that environment, I mean, with facility access and census, uh, uh, clinical execution. And, and you can imagine you know, the setting is all this is occurring in a relatively new partnership of uh, joint venture arrangement among providers and American health plans. But I'd say is despite those challenges of 2020 and, and, and continuing to 2021 with COVID and, and all the difficult moments, I would say the ISNIP model uh, certainly held um, and certainly has been our experience for each of our five 2020 ISNIP plans. Uh, they, they all have their own story, but overall, the model held. And, and what I mean by that is not just the CMS, ISNIP model, and beyond kind of the, the financial arrangement and, and consideration, but also the, the joint venture and the operating model uh, that our partners in American Health have put together and put in place. So as a collective group, we were able to, to manage our hospitalization rates at around the 3.5%. We were able to pay shared savings across our book of business at about a 25% clip over top of the capitation. But, and I think what it really highlighted uh, the challenges of 2020 was what was that structure, that day-to-day execution uh, that was required to, to realize the, those results. And obviously, we we're executing in the most difficult of circumstances. But the, you know, the ISNIP is, is really a coordinated dance between the facilities, the operating partner, American Health, in, in this example, but also the care management entity as well. And so when you get into an operating environment like 2020, it stress tests those, those relationships and how that partnership's set up. You know, are the facilities fully committed to executing the model of care? Is the care management entity integrated with the plan in a way that it can be responsive to the changing environments that we're facing? Uh, is the plan operations partner willing and able to be creative and flexible uh, with the realities that a facility may be facing on any given day? And then is, is the joint venture itself set up to uh, ensure that everyone is thinking long-term, providing proper governance through difficult patches and, and pulling their own weight? So we had two, two examples. We had, we had one plan that launched just prior to COVID hitting. We had our trying days for sure, but the the organization that we partnered with was well-prepared. They had, they had had contracted ISNPs previously in their homes, so they trusted the clinical model and knew there was a lot of value being left on the table by not being a provider-owned arrangement. So they partnered with us, and uh, they worked openly with our care management entity to expand the program into their homes and navigate the many challenges that fell on us just two months into launching the plan. And the result was, you know, they were able to get some shared savings results out of it, and, and we're now looking to to continue to grow and expand the, the membership and, and double that this year. You know, conversely, another plan that I would say was probably of ours that was probably most impacted our collective plan was a lot of our rollout of our facilities for a number of reasons were to occur in Q2. So obviously, COVID uh, delayed those rollouts as everybody was digesting the new realities around them. And that pushed back our, our, our plans for, for scale and, uh, you know, by a good, you know, six to nine months. But the partnership remained open, communicative. Uh, everyone took it a day at a time. We're now executing on that backlog of, of growth, uh, looking to bring in additional partners and, and execute on geographic expansion. So, so the model's there. The model works. It, it's founded in a, a, a much more improved uh, 
model of care. But the, you know, the partnership uh, does need to be patient, collaborative, transparent. And I think to your point at the beginning, you know, those are the nuances that are really important. Um, we, we spent a lot of time talking about facility economics and the blocking and tackling, but it is a partnership. Uh, that part of it matters as much. Yeah. And then, you know, the financial benefits, you know, how, when you're looking to expand and you're talking about this and, you know, I, I think the the piece of talking about it in, as term, in terms of a longer term play is important. I mean, it's very difficult, I think, for a lot of organizations in, I mean, in the economy in general, but especially in healthcare and especially in post-acute and long-term care to really think beyond next week, to think beyond getting the vaccine. What are some of the advantages? Let's say I am uh, an operator who's maybe interested in joining up with you guys, who's maybe interested in getting into the ISNIP world, but, you know, I have all of the same effects of the last year have been, have come to my facility. You know, the admissions are down, the finances are crunched in a different way, the reimbursement math is all off. Where were the advantages that you saw, the successes that you saw throughout COVID? And, you know, what is sort of your pitch for maybe continuing to go down that path, even though times are very uncertain and there are a lot of near-term issues right now before thinking about, you know, what what is my care coordination and what is my payment system going to look like in five years? Yeah, yeah. I think that, that question dovetails well with the second half of your the first question around uh, how are, are folks thinking about this today in terms of new plans and participation. You know, I, I think that the first half of that is the benefit of the ISNIP is you're ultimately getting to the top of the food chain and controlling the Medicare dollar. So while it could be a long-term strategy in terms of positioning your nursing home organization higher up the food chain um, in terms of engagement in the health system and your local market, day one, you're getting premium payment from CMS monthly. So you're getting capitation to your facilities monthly. So the immediate cash flow effect is positive. And additionally, you are getting access to that model of care immediately. So there may be long-term strategic implications, but you're not taking a step back financially to go forward in this model, which is appealing. And uh, there is a cash flow component to this that is positive with capitation. What we're seeing in terms of Folks looking at the the, the uh, participation and new plan activity, you know, despite all the the challenges of of, of 2020 and census pressures and the like, the provider and ISNIP membership you know, did grow entering 2021. And I think a lot of that new plan activity was momentum through pre-COVID discussions and efforts, given the the, the, the cycle that CMS requires. But as one of our new partners in, in, in Texas, a, a new market we're in. Real sharp CEO, which, which she said at the moment of you know, kind of the height of uncertainty in, in May and June, but she, she pointed out that she viewed COVID as, um, as as evidence of the need for the ISNIP model of care. She was doing everything she could clinically to manage these residents in their home, which was, of course is the nursing home. I think uh, you know that said, as, as we're looking into the future here at, at 2022, I think what you'll see a lot of, of activity is is depth in the market. Uh, and what I mean by that, you take American Health Plans, for example, we're, we're now not in nine states. So uh, an emphasis will be creating depth in those states through uh, filling out uh, opportunities with existing partners. So maybe when you go live, you maybe your, your operations are in 
40 counties, but you, you initially go live in 20. So you have the opportunity to fill out that opportunity by expanding geographically. And then also engaging new interested participants in those markets. So that's a, a tremendous advantage you know, of uh, a group that maybe is operating in this example in, in Texas that rather than having to make a decision a year and a half out to begin to develop and operationalize and, uh, through all the steps required to launch an ISNF, there's one now operating in their, in their market and the opportunity to engage and plug in uh, effectively day one. And so it, it cuts down on, on that lag time to uh, engage with the ISNF and realize that economic and clinical opportunity. And I think the, the other component that uh, we'll be focusing on certainly in those markets is expansion of our, our product offerings. So you can also uh, expand it to, into the institutional equivalent setting, the, the ALS and the community and the like. And then for the groups that are emerging, you know, with the you know vaccination and, and a little relief and maybe just uh, the need to look forward after uh, 10 months of, of, of battling day to day, uh, you know, those conversations are, are, are focused on, on 2023 new plan op- opportunities. And, and so there's, there's some time to uh, kind of get up to speed and, and, and create that strategic plan for those organizations around a uh, new plan. Gotcha. And now just logistically, you know, how has, how has the rollout process changed? You know, you mentioned bringing in that plan that was really sort of kicking off right as COVID was going. And I'm sure this is going to be a top logistical hurdle. You know, we can't even get family members in these facilities. I know one of the big ways that that uh, operators and their ISNA partners would grow their plans is it's really face-to-face. It's intensive. You have to explain to the residents, you know, here's what you can do. Here's where some of the benefits if you join up with us. How has that process, you know, from marketing and then just logistically making, you know, putting these care teams in place, putting these care plans, how has that changed with the pandemic? And, you know, how will that continue to be different as we, you know, still face probably at least another quarter or two of visitation restrictions and just general disruptions from the normal day to day of one of these facilities? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And when we when we talk about ISMS with partners and potential partners, you know, the nursing home owners, what, what they're seeking from the ISNIP you know, the vastly improved model care, you know, the capitated cash flow, and the opportunity for shared savings. And so to access those three things, uh, the provider-owned ISNIP uh, has to deal with really two, two factors at a high level. We, we call it capital and execution. And what you're asking about is the execution piece. So, you know, on the capital side, to hit on that briefly, you know, through these syndication opportunities and like, so yes, you'll, you'll need you know, million and a half, two and a half million dollars of statutory capital. You'll need a, a, a couple more million to, you know, get st- stood up and get to scale. But the syndication allows for a lot of flexibility. And, and from the nursing home side, you know, as I said, we got partners in for less than $500,000 that are still realizing those three goals of the ISNIP, the model of care, capitated cash flow and shared savings. On the execution, that, you know, really boils down to enrollment and hospitalization. If you had a, um, summarize it. If you execute on those two points, you know, the rest will follow. Uh, but there's a lot that goes into those factors. And, and to your point around launching the program and, and marketing it, that's where we believe a very integrated model between sales, clinical, field operations, and back office health plan operations is really beneficial. So I think as, as providers are, are continue to look at this model, I think the next iteration from what is an ISNIP to then what's the math on capitation relative to fee-for-service, the next step is 
what's the what's the operating model here? So 2020, to your point, put a lot of stresses on that, but we were able to navigate the move to virtual enrollment, uh, navigate the move to virtual facility education uh, leading up to uh, launch, and really ongoing facility education because you always have maybe a new administrator or you're constantly uh, enrolling new uh, admissions and educating the, the facility on that process. You know, a, a medical director inevitably will have questions about the program that you'll be addressing and, and wanting to collaborate with. So all those things, of course, move to a virtual environment. But I think the a program that had a uh, comprehensive operational approach allowed for us to pivot and make that work. So the, the end result, the last step of the ISNET pro- enrollment process, uh, talking to the resident or the, the POA, those didn't change in terms of 80% uptake when you get to that point. You know, the course, the challenge was getting to that point through facility education and virtual engagement of, of those residents in the POAs, but we're able to navigate that through a, kind of a comprehensive and, and, and clinical effort between operations, uh, the care management team, and, and the sales team. Got it. And you could, could you drill down on some of those clinical factors? Because I know, I mean, I think the everyone, you know, the conversation around ISNIPS always gets back to the ice, to the financial side of trying to control yep. your payments, maybe get some of those, maybe get some shared savings. But in terms of the actual clinical work that has to go into it, it's intense. And obviously, I think that something providers need to keep in mind is that it, you're not going to get anywhere if you just think, okay, I'm going to control my money and everything will be better. And I don't have to really put any effort into my clinical or change the way that I do things clinically and operationally. Can you get into some of the, the key factors for success that, you would, that you've seen so far in making sure that the clinical side of the house is really working toward the same goal as the financial side of the house? Well, that's it. You just said it. So the clinical team has to be on the same page. So this whole provider and model contemplates the nursing home being fully invested and having skin in the game, the operating partner being fully invested and having skin in the game. But, But what often gets left out is the care management piece. If that is fragmented and cobbled together, for lack of a better term, through, you know, whatever in place already, or let's go find somebody in that local market that can, can fill this void. That model of care execution is where the rubber meets the road. All, all the conversations around capital and shared savings and enrollment, you know, the enrollment's driven by the model of care. If that's not happening, uh, uh, you'll feel that in all those different places. And so for us, the only way to ensure that that is all aligned operationally and, and with the facilities is for that to be affiliated with the, the joint venture between the nursing homes and the Austin uh, Partner American Health Plans in this example. So, so we have an entity called True Health. They do a wonderful job. Their, their entire focus is to execute the model of care on behalf of this ISNIP joint venture. That's what they do every day. They work with the field operations team every day. They work with the facility folks every day to that end. So they're not walking room to room trying to put on a fee-for-service hat, take that off, care management hat and trying to navigate different models. The, the whole idea here is to strip away the challenges of a fee-for-service environment and a need for a nurse practitioner RN model that requires 15, 16, 17 visits a day to a model that is intensely focused on the needs of the, the, the resident member in the model of care. So if they need to sit with that, that member for two hours, that's what they'll do. And, uh, 
And, and that's what leads to the proactive care and ultimately the, the prevention of hospitalizations, ownership of call on weekends and those pieces, and doing it in a way that's collaborative with the facility, collaborative with the facility's medical director and the existing uh, clinical team in place. You know, that's the execution. That's the, the magic of this model, and that's where you have to have everybody fully invested, and that's why we put so much emphasis on that component of this, because nothing else works if you're not executing at, at the bedside there. Yeah, and I like the image of, uh, of the fee-for-service and the value-based hat. I feel like if there's a number one complaint or attention in among operators and providers who are really looking to explore these new models, it is that idea of, you know, I want to invest in value-based care. I know that's kind of the way the world is moving, but so much of my day-to-day reimbursements, my day-to-day math is based in that fee-for-service world. It's very hard to bridge those two. It's hard, it's hard to, you know, you really operate in one world and in the other, and it's very difficult to go back and forth between the two. We're bumping up on the end of our time. I want to ask just what is your outlook over the next couple of years? You know, Seema Verma, before she left CMS, she talked about home care needs to be a lot more, nursing home payments rather, need to be a lot more value-based than they currently We have a new presidential administration. Still way too early to tell what the long-term effects of CMS payments and compliance policy will be. But, you know, do you think that this is something that COVID has accelerated that trend toward value-based care? Is this something that we're going to look back on and say, oh, you know, every, the industry was sort of moving there. It was kind of taking little baby steps. But then COVID was that moment that really kick-started both the government and private payers into really starting to think about it differently. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there, but but I, I think the the short answer is, is absolutely. And and you know, I would say a couple things in that sense. One, as an industry, we talk about provider-owned ISNPs and ISNPs a lot. And what gets lost in that is what we are is a Medicare Advantage plan, and that's a good thing. Medicare Advantage is value-based care. It is solid and growing. It is bipartisan. It's going to be 50% of all seniors in America soon. So a lot of the uncertainty, I believe, in value-based care comes from programs that are partial solutions or fragmented or could go away or evolve over time. This is solid. This is top of the uh, food chain, first dollar premium from CMS. So there's nowhere else to go beyond this in terms of resources. So when we're talking about components of value-based care, we're always talking about reaching into this premium dollar. And so what the ISNIP Medicare Advantage plan does is it puts the premium dollar in the nursing home owner's hands. And that's it. That's the entirety of it. And so now it's on the owners and us, American Health Plans as their partners, to execute. So there's no, you know, I, I I had the benefit of listening to uh, some of your other podcasts, and I think you you bring up some good points about the mirage of value-based care, and that goes away when you are controlling the premium dollar. It is on you to execute. We talk about the model of care and investing at the bedside. That's the choice we're making in our health plans, right, to execute a model of care that reinvests that premium dollar at the bedside. But you're the Medicare Advantage plan. You make those decisions. We think that's the best use of that capital and the best return for our members and residents clinically and for the facilities to get the shared savings. But ultimately, you're in control, and everything else is building towards that. The direct contracting model is is an effort to replicate that in the fee-for-service environment. But ultimately, they're building toward a situation where here's the premium provider. It's on you. 
and you can keep the shared savings if that if you are able to execute. But at that point, the common conversation you have of as nursing home owners, and we've had it ourselves with our 29 facilities, is if we had the resources, dot dot dot. And this is it. These are all the resources. This is the full Medicare premium to work with. And so I think this is where things are building toward. I think the the model that the industry has created, the nursing home owners have created with this provider-owned ISNIP is a good one to mitigate some of the capital concerns and to provide a model that can execute on this and keep the value in the nursing facilities. Is it challenging? Absolutely. But you're in the game long-term if you're a Medicare Advantage plan. And regardless of what comes down the pipe next, which nobody knows over the next two, five, six, ten years, but you're in the game if you're controlling the premium dollar for your, your residents. And I would just finish by saying folks in healthcare are always trying to find that pocket of, of residents or patients who are high need and largely unmanaged. And when that occurs, vendors flood to that space to offer that solution of care management to the Medicare Advantage plans or to CMS. Nursing homeowners are sitting on a million of those folks in their long-term care beds. And if nursing home owners and their partners like American Health Plans don't manage that situation to their benefit and the residents' benefit, someone else is going to eventually. And I think this uh, proactive approach by the industry is great. I think there's uh, a lot of great opportunity out there and we'll continue to build. Uh, But it is difficult. It is important to have the right partner and the right model to execute on that. And uh, I think that's something that will continue to evolve. Yeah, well, Hank, I think that's a great place to end up. This has been a great conversation. And also, thank you for the little plug on listening to our past episodes, which, of course, are all still available. But again, Hank, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink the Future of Skilled Nursing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And for more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Spanko, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.